The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, book two, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. God is changing the face of global mission. Have you ever considered what it would look like if that were true? If you're interested in discovering what that means and how God is preparing for a worldwide movement, you're going to want to stick around. Welcome to From the Forefront podcast by FX Missions. We believe that God calls us beyond where we are, equips us for the unforeseen, and gives us the victory, even if we don't ever see the victory ourselves. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Whether this is your first time or you've been with us for a while, I would really love to hear from you. Easiest way to get me is scott at fxmissions.com by email. Just say, hey, or what were you thinking when you said dot, dot, dot. As we're finalizing this episode to get it out, I'm just returning from a Alaska trip. You heard it right. Wow, Alaska. Mm, mm, mm. Really nice, also rugged. We finished up some leadership training there, and it was a good time, excellent time. We also started a little Pan-American journey that maybe you'll hear from in the future. If you'd like to know more about leadership training, send that email or visit fxmissions.com. Today, we're going to talk with Ryan Shaw of how God is changing the face of global missions and mission work. Some of the ways that God used and open closed doors for him and close possibly some others to guide him forward. How God's faithfulness showed up and a lot more. If you're interested in learning more about what God's doing or just reveling in his faithfulness, you're going to want to stick around. I found this to be a really powerful and encouraging conversation about change on the missions landscape. Hi, it's Scott McClellan for FX Missions Podcasting. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you again today. And I'm excited also to introduce to you someone you may not have heard of, but maybe you have. If you've been in the missions community for some time and you know anything about missions in Asia, you might have heard of Ryan Shaw. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Scott. It's good to be here with you guys. I should say good, what, I don't know, good day. I don't know, your 13 hours, I think, uh, on the other side of the world right now. That's right. It's 9 p.m. my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for staying up a little late. And here I am with Morning Voice. I always like Morning Voice for podcasts because my timber is a little lower. I think I sound better. But thank you for being here. It's exciting to meet you and get to know a little bit about your work. I'm thankful to know another person in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's a cool place. I've been there. Hope to get back. Let's dig in a little bit here. Obviously, we're going to talk about your book. We're going to get into that. You've got a book that has been released. You 
have been working on for some time. As an author myself, I know that is definitely a labor of love. So good work on that. But I'd like to talk a little bit about your early years, if we can. We're about the same age. I'm going to leave it right there. I think I'm older than you by a touch. (laughs) You know, we're going to say we're about the same age. We've been alive a little while. So, Ryan, how did you get to the missions world? How did you end up in missions? Yeah. So I am actually, surprisingly enough, a fourth generation missionary. My parents were in Papua New Guinea with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Some of your listeners might be familiar with the organization Wycliffe. Yes. And I was born there and we lived there till I was seven years old. And then we moved to the U.S., to California, which is kind of another world in itself. (laughs) And so some people would kind of look at my heritage, so to speak, or my legacy, my family's line. And say, oh, it's kind of inevitable, right, that you would get involved in missions. Well, no, not even close. (laughs) In fact, I strongly kind of rebelled, not against the Lord. I came to the Lord when I was a teenager, junior high, youth group, and was discipled well. But, you know, there was just some things that I had experienced maybe as a missionary kid growing up in this lifestyle that I was like, yeah, no, I'm not kind of into that so much. And so the Lord really had to work on my heart. But when he made it clear to me when I was about 19 years old, that he was in fact calling me to serve him in this way, he made it abundantly clear and it just really clicked for me. I said, all right, I've made you the Lord. So that means I need to be willing to let you lead. And so I went through a whole kind of healing process and changing my mentality a little bit, all those kind of fun things. So yeah, I kind of a little my story and then the Lord's done a whole bunch of cool things to kind of get us to where we are right now. Maybe we'll get into some of that a little bit as we go. Yeah, for sure. Wow. I got to say it's a special to me, you know, I've been, I've worked with a, a variety of missionaries kind of around the world, different places. I know how uncommon it is for a MK, as they call it, a missionary kid to become a missionary themselves. That's less likely than maybe many folks realize. Yes. For a variety of reasons, I'm quite sure. But at the same time, it's a standing fact, I think. I think, I don't know if there's a percentage out there. Ryan, you may know it, but it's a low number. I would agree with that. To me, it's kind of a badge of honor. Now, this, I don't know if this is vanity or not in my own mind, <laughs> but when I hear a missionary giving their story and they say these four words, born on the field, I was like, oh, right. <laughs> absolutely, born on the field. You know, that's such a huge thing to me and unlikely eventuality that that person would continue in mission. So, I know it's not without its uh, challenges. And as you say, the reorientation that you have to go through from the Lord to make that possibility. I just want to say, well done for overcoming those things. You and your family were on the field. And now, once again, you and your family, your nuclear family are on the field. Tell us a little bit about your family, Ryan. Yeah. I have a lovely wife who I've been married to for 18 years. 
kind of a fun fact about us. We have all of that, that time, all of those 18 years, we have never, ever made our home in the U.S. So we got married in Los Angeles, in Pasadena, California, and literally a week after, so we went on a week honeymoon, and then a week after that, we drove up to London, Ontario in Canada, and we relocated living in Canada for the first three and a half years of our married life. And we had a son during that time, and we were then pregnant with our second one, and then we moved to Turkey. So we then spent four years in Turkey, two years in Istanbul, the big, well-known city there, and then two years down in uh, Izmir, Turkey, right on the coast, right on the bay, a beautiful bay, like a San Diego kind of feel in, in Izmir, just a beautiful, beautiful city. And then we were there for four years, and then the last 10 and a half years, we've been over here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, in, in Asia. So I have a son who just turned 16. Wow. We were trying to figure out, what do you do for sons when they turn 16 in terms of what you call it? You know, for girls, it's a sweet 16, right? But for boys, it's like, you know, we're like, what do you call it? Like studly 16? I don't know. You know I don't know what goes along with that one. Anyway, and then we've got a, uh, a daughter who's 13 years old, and they go to a wonderful international school here. That's often a question I get. You know, what do you do for schooling, for education, right? We have a great international mission-centered school of about 600 kids uh, right here in Chiang Mai. And most of those are all kind of Westerners, not just Americans. 90% are mission-type kids. So my kids are getting to grow up with others who are just like them, kind of going through the same stuff. Yeah, it's a great joy, great blessing to be here in this city in Chiang Mai. We love Thailand. Man, well, for sure. And please give our greetings to your family. Thank them for loaning you to us for a little while here to have this conversation. It's a powerful story that you're sharing. And I appreciate being animated for the gospel. For those of you who were not paying close attention, I think Ryan said he drove from L.A. to Ontario. Come on, bro. You need a medal just for that. You're going corner to corner there. And then to Turkey which Middle East is completely a different animal. I've spent a little time in the Middle East, not a ton. I enjoyed what I've spent there. And then, of course, Chiang Mai. If we can take just a minute and talk about what Chiang Mai is becoming, how it's becoming a certain thing it represents in terms of missions efforts when it comes to Asia and that part of the world. Can you share a little bit about that? I'd like to just unlayer that a little bit if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the reasons before I get to that, that we felt the Lord lead us from, because those are some very diverse countries, Canada, Turkey, and now Thailand. So when we were in Turkey, our purpose, our kind of calling that we're going to get into in this discussion really focuses around mission mobilization, mobilizing the church in different countries to understand her missionary calling and then become activated in it. And one of the pieces that we do related to this mobilization kind of work is a training school. And so we actually started in Turkey a training school for pastors, bringing pastors from different parts of Asia, from Africa, even from Latin America, some 
from Western countries, North America, et cetera, to come to Turkey, to be in this unreached location, to be able to start learning how can we as leaders, when we go back to our countries, how can we mobilize effectively? So we were doing that in Turkey in this unreached environment. Pretty cool. Well, then the government kind of clamped down on some things related to visas, giving visas out. Yeah. And so that was kind of the writing on the wall that we needed to, <laughs> we needed to have another location. And that's when we started praying, Lord, where would you have us go? Long story short, I wish I could give you the details because this is a powerful testimony of how the Lord led us. But he led us in a pretty dramatic way to come to Chiang Mai. And to your question, one of the reasons I didn't know anything about Chiang Mai at that time. When we get this, you know, very clear guidance, leading, confirmations from the Lord over and over, all these things were lining up. I'm going, I've never heard of this place. I've definitely never visited. I thought it was in China. I thought it was Shanghai, not Chiang Mai. You know, I was a little confused on things. Yeah. And so then I started to learn. I started to, you know, ask questions. What is this place? And to your question, came to learn what an important and focused kind of strategic hub for missions that Chiang Mai has become. And there's lots of factors, lots of reasons behind this, but a lot of organizations have chosen to headquarter themselves right here. So before COVID, let me give you an example of how significant this city has become related to missions. Well, let me give a little backdrop. Thailand is less than 1%, 0.08% are believers in this nation. Okay. Wow. So very tiny, tiny, teeny tiny number of believers. But the government is a free, democratic, freedom of religion, open to all people kind of a government. So they let Christian organizations come in here and be based here, even though the people themselves are all Buddhist and very few know Jesus. You know, so it's kind of this irony in some ways that there's it's become this missionary hub, but the country itself is still very unreached. But the example I was going to give you is that before COVID, there was literally, and I, I'm not exaggerating this at all, it's factually true that every week of every year, probably from about 2015 up to about 2020, there was a missions conference held in this city every week of every year for about five years straight. Wow. That's how many organizations are connected to Chiang Mai. And that's not that they were necessarily based here, but they realized, hey, this is a conducive environment. There's nice hotels here that give great discounts, group discounts for big conferences, whatever. And so it really is a kind of this place that if I believe it's key and strategic to what God wants to do, not only in Asia, but even for the whole world. And that was one of the reasons the Lord really, really led us here to the city. So it's a cool place. We love it here. Yeah, it's been fun. Man, I have been, as I said, only once, though. I'm really looking forward to getting back to Chiang Mai. The Sticky Rocks Waterfall, you can't miss that. Of course, yes. That place is dangerous, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and what surprised me, kind of to your point, is that it's an unreached environment. Obviously, people are being reached and God is moving in Thailand. You know, it's something to behold. The fact that a centralization of missions efforts there, and thank God for it. I'm happy for that. 
Thanks for unpacking that for us a little bit, Ryan. I, I appreciate it. Primarily what we're getting together to talk about today is a book that you have written. Now, let me just say, as I do with all props to all authors, you've got my respect. It's a labor of love to get one across the goal line, as you well know. So thank you for your efforts there. Your book, Rethinking Global Mobilization, I think I'm saying it right. You got it, bro. Right on. Okay. So Rethinking Global Mobilization by Ryan Shaw. Make a mental note. We'll have links at the end. Where did this book start as an idea? You know, maybe it started in your school. I would really love to go back and unpack that four years in Turkey. You know, you're basically opening people's worldview to unreached people groups. Maybe that's where it started. But where did the book, where did the genesis of the book start for you? So I had the privilege of going to a pretty incredible seminary for my master's level work. So Fuller Theological Seminary, for your listeners that might be familiar, that's out in Los Angeles and Pasadena there. I'm sitting in a class with a renowned missions historian, missions and church historian. And this guy starts talking about a movement in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that was called the Student Volunteer Movement. Very uh, powerful move of God among college students in the U.S., in Canada, and then in Great Britain. And so he's talking about this, the history of this movement among the college students, and he starts to unpack the watchword or the catchphrase that they had. And that phrase was the evangelization of the world in this generation, the evangelization of the world in this generation. And something just kind of grabbed me when I heard that. This idea that these young college students in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they really believed that this was possible that they could see in their word, kind of an old school word, but the evangelization of the world. That kind of stuck with me. Then, as I continued in seminary, I started to hear kind of a similar idea, but packaged in maybe a little bit more updated language, you could say. And that phrase was the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. So similar ideas, different terminology, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. So I'm studying and I already feel called into missions, but I didn't know what form that would take. There's so many ways to be connected, right? So I'm asking as I'm in seminary, Lord, where are you leading me? What do you want me to invest my life and devote myself in? And so this phrase, I start thinking and it just captivated my heart, the fulfillment of the great commission in this generation. And I began to kind of discern that how are we going to see this happen? That was my question. This thing is big, fulfillment, all right? The whole thing getting wrapped up. <laughs> how the heck is that going to take place? And so I began to discern in conversations with professors, with colleagues, with friends. I was doing some mobilization stuff, kind of on a low key at the time. So talking to different people about this, it became pretty clear to me that one of the key ways to see the whole fulfillment is mobilizing the body of Christ to enable her to be equipped in order to see this task kind of accomplished. So what I did about two years ago, I started looking for books, not 
that are used as tools for mobilizing. There's a lot of that that's out there in the missions literature world. Lots of books, biographies, adventure stories about missions, books about certain areas related to missions, anti-trafficking or Bible translation, those kind of things. But nothing that I could find that was laying out a definition of missions mobilization and was looking at it from a biblical perspective, trying to get a biblical theology of what mobilization is and what it's about. So I'm looking, I'm asking all the missions people I can get a hold of, tell me some books. I need to go read these things and I want to use them in our training school. That was a lot of my motivation. I want to use this stuff and train other people using it. Well, I came to find there's hardly anything that existed. My word. And so it was at that time that the Lord began to say, okay, I'm pushing you. And it was, it was getting kind of pushed into a corner. I did not want to spend time. I'm a busy leader doing different mobilization stuff. I was like, I don't really, I don't want to devote the time to sitting at my computer, writing a book. Yeah. And yet the Lord got me and he said, no, I, I want you to do this. There's not a lot out there. So that's some of the motivation behind it. That's cool. And again, going through the process of writing the book, you can understand if you know the size of that task, few would do it voluntarily. I mean, you know, it's it's a real labor of love. I don't mean to intimidate those of you who are considering writing book, but I think you were probably maybe like Joshua. Don't be afraid of the size of the task is something that's being telegraphed to you and what the Lord's communicating. Absolutely. I've got to also say that in days and times to come, and also with people you'll never meet, if you yourself have been a student of books, you'll realize why that makes sense from the Lord's point of view. Because somebody you're never going to meet is going to be reading this tome. They're going to be reading the volume, and they'll be, in a way, being discipled by you in the area of what God's given you to share. That's right. That, to me, our minds should open up to include that and understand that the potential impact of this kind, obviously we all got here because we read a book called the Bible. (laughs) So the shelf life of impact, you know, not trying to downplay your in this generation thing, but there's potential impact that continues to unfold. Obviously these stories, adventure stories, the whole story of the student volunteer movement, someone chronicled that. And they passed it on to the guy who shared it with you, who started a fire inside of you. That's it. Now, I don't know if this is a good question or bad. It's something that came to me. Where do you feel like we are when it comes to the overall mission movement at present? If you're stepping back and looking at missions and maybe looking at mobilization, it strikes me a little bit that you couldn't find a book of the kind that you ended up writing. It kind of says something. I mean, it intimates something to me. But from your point of view, where are we? And how do we move on from here? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different viewpoints on this. And a lot of people are looking at the challenges we're facing right now, the COVID and uh, coups all around the world and persecutions and kind of looking at the setbacks and getting discouraged, frankly. I mean, that's a very common reaction in the church is for believers to be pretty discouraged right now with kind of how things are going. But when we look at the scripture, I think, especially the New Testament, the book of Acts, I think we see something different. We see the church 
growing leaps and bounds, actually, in the midst of a whole lot of difficulties, a whole lot of challenges. I mean, the Roman Empire was not just kind of a walk in the park to live in. Right. This was like an oppressive government, especially to born-again believers who love Jesus. They did not want to see this Nazarene group get moving. And yet, in the midst of all that, that's when the growth happened. And so I think I'm maybe weird along this line, but, but I'm kind of encouraged. I'm encouraged of where we're at globally because I believe we are on the cusp of seeing some real breakthrough among the remaining unreached people groups. Now, if you just sheerly go by the numbers, we could kind of say last 30 years, we really haven't made a lot of headway in terms of the fulfillment of the Great Commission that I just kind of highlighted, that phrase, the people being born, kind of the birth rates are pretty even with people coming to know Jesus. And so we're not gaining ground per se. But I believe that God is doing some new things. Several years ago, it's about 10 years ago, actually, and I write about this a little bit in the book. I was driving down the road here near my house in Chiang Mai, and and all I can describe it as the Lord just kind of arrested me while I was driving. I was by myself. My family wasn't with me. And, you know, I just sensed kind of a, a statement. The Lord put this statement in my heart, and he said, I'm changing the face of global mission. I'm changing the face of global mission. And I was stunned by it. I had to pull over and had a little time of prayer and intercession right there in my car. Cause I was like, what is this Lord? Mm -hmm. And the last 10 years since that time, I've been asking him that Lord, give me understanding. What does that actually look like? And I think that's one of the changes God is making and, and really using it to progress us in the great commission. We need to do some things a little bit differently. We've kind of gotten into business as usual modes as the church. And so I think a lot of what he's doing now is preparing the ground. So we're not necessarily seeing the headway, like I just said, but the ground is being prepared, I believe, the environment even, so that the church, the body of Christ, not only in the Western world, sometimes we get tunnel vision where we're thinking that the church is only the American church. Right. I'm American. I love my nation. I love the body of Christ in my country. But I've watched and observed as we've lived globally, you just realize, no, God is raising up the church literally in every nation for missions. Yes. For missions. That's the key point in this whole thing. And so are we making headway right now? No, probably not. A little bit stagnated. But the preparation is in place to see this mass movement. And it's not organized by any organization, by any denomination. This thing is body of Christ wide. And that's why I get excited about mission mobilization, because I feel like mobilization is, it's kind of the hinge. I see it as kind of a hinge. All right. The door of the mission movement can't swing well and do what it's supposed to do. If the hinge of mobilization, meaning mobilizing the body of Christ, enabling individual local churches to understand mission, individual believers who might never, ever, ever touch another country, they need to get it. They need to be praying for it. They need to see their different roles that are involved in it. So 
I don't know if that completely got at your question. What's the mission movement? What do I feel the mission movement kind of is looking like? But those are a few ideas. I think we're poised in a very exciting place right now, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. Man, well, I appreciate your optimism. And there's something to be optimistic about and look forward to. I think especially for those of us who the Lord has planted something inside to change where we are. And I think that's where it starts. Obviously, that's when the seed is sown. It's not a very exciting time. All you see, there's a little dirt around where a seed was planted. You know what I'm saying? We're starting to see, and I think we will see, we'll continue to see this planting shoot up, you know, take form. And I was reminded as you were describing that, a quote from Philip Jenkins, who wrote, I believe it was the book was The Next Christendom. He said, there's a widespread conviction that Christianity cannot survive in anything like its present form. So I think we are in and continuing in a metamorphosis. I think maybe your book is meant to aid and assist and contribute in this metamorphosis that we're in. Yes. So mobilization, it's a big word now, you know, when you're trying to find the books on it. I mean, I think this is a growing thing and God's putting it in a lot of people's hearts, but We've got great energy on this podcast, and I really appreciate everything the Lord's done inside of you. But it also means we're going to run out of runway here in about 10 minutes. So I want to make sure and get in the most important elements of what you want to share during this time. I want to make sure and get those in. Obviously, I've got a number of other questions that we could go through, but I want to short circuit that process. Let's talk for one second here to the average believer, someone who is thinking that missions is a trip to the Dominican Republic over a long weekend, or someone who has heard of these missions exploits of the late 1800s or something, but they don't have a personal grid for missions, and what globalization means. How can we simply and powerfully explain what mobilization is to the average believer who maybe is a new believer or someone who's been dormant in their faith. I I don't really want to use that word, but I'll throw it out there. How can we help that person understand mobilization and how can they cooperate with this mobilization? What's God trying to do? How can we cooperate? Man, that's a good one. Yes, help us understand that. Well, I'll tell you, man, that person, the average believer sitting in a campus ministry or sitting in a local church, that's actually who I wrote the book for. I want to influence those guys because I believe that whether they know it or not, they have been called by God to play a very specific role, even in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Now, when people hear that, what they immediately think I am saying is that they should somehow become a missionary. And that's not actually at all what I'm saying. And that's part of the, I think, the rethinking that needs to be done related to this word mobilization. Because when most average believers sitting in a ministry, even many leaders, when we hear that word, we tend to think recruiting for the Dominican Republic trip that you just highlighted or maybe a, you know, preaching to a group about missions, that is mobilization. And I think it's so much broader, so much bigger, where we need to be influencing that average believer sitting in the pew. So our ministry, Global Mission Mobilization Initiative, 
GMMI. And so we work alongside and partner with many denominations, many church networks in order to enable and equip them with tools, with teachings, with trainings to mobilize and equip their own local ministry. So in our circles, we talk a lot about six different roles in the Great Commission and that every follower of Jesus, and we take this from the fact that if you are a disciple in Jesus, according to his own words, Jesus is in the Gospels, Mm -hmm. then you are already called to be involved in his big picture purposes. You don't need a special calling. You're already called to do that, all right? Now, that doesn't mean you cross the world and become a cross-cultural missionary, but you have one of these roles, at least one of these six. And so these six are, they're not rocket science. You're familiar with them. The listeners know them. They're giving, going, prayer, mobilizing, advocating, and then welcoming. All right. So one of these roles, and we don't have time to kind of break them all down. You can go to our GMMI website. We've got these tools available on our website. But the problem has been that the way, I think one of the problems is the way that we've approached discipleship is to disconnect the me and Jesus part of discipleship, which I love. That relationship has to be foundational and everything then flows out of that relationship that I have with Jesus. But we've often forgotten that he actually called us, us meaning the entire body of Christ, to do some things for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his kingdom. But usually that part isn't necessarily tied in Or if it is, it's done so in a compartmentalized kind of way, like the trip to the Dominican Republic, or like go to that missions conference over there and get excited for a weekend, and then you kind of get that out of your system type thing and get back into real life. We've dichotomized these areas that God is saying, no, I I actually want those together. And so to that average believer sitting in the pew Man, you have a calling on your life, whether or not you ever leave your hometown. You can affect unreached people groups in Saudi Arabia without ever leaving St. Louis, Missouri, or wherever you might live. Most Christians are not aware of that. They've never been given that vision. And so what we want to do is help bring mobilization into the local fellowship. So that it's not something that people just kind of go to at a seminar or kind of leave their ministry, go to a conference, then come back to their local church where there's no missions emphasis at all. No, the the local community needs to be, we call it an incubator, an incubator for missions vision that's not just one off once a year, but actually Bible studies on God's heart for the nations and speakers coming in who are not just getting you excited about adventure stories, but actually talking about God's mission purpose and what that all kind of looks like and how you can be tangibly involved. So I think we need to rework kind of the whole overview of how we go about mobilization to make it central, actually, in the life of any local ministry, because then it's going to touch that average believer who's sitting in the pew. They're going to go, whoa, this is this is way different than I, I thought missions was just a you know, check it off my little list and move on to my job. No, it's completely different. So those are some thoughts. Man, you got me inspired here. Got to say it. (laughs) You know, I think there's some parallels that can be drawn there. 
I want to be careful with this analogy, but I think when we think about missions or historically, it could be compared to a, a military kind of comparison. We think about one role, right? We think about the military. We think about direct action forces that are out there at the edge exchanging gunfire. And we think about being obedient in missions. We think about, I'm going to be sent to fill in the blank place you don't want to go. I really thank God that you guys are unpacking this a little bit in terms of roles of contribution. For every person in the military that is a direct action person, there is a host of people behind that person making that direct action possible. And I think that's what you guys are helping us understand is that, yes, there are those who are called for that frontline type of experience, sharing the gospel in unreached areas. But for every person who's there, there's a long line. How would you comment on that observation? Am I missing it? Is that correct? No, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. In addition to that, I would add, there's a key piece in helping believers see the centrality, we could say, of missions in the heart of God. Okay. That if we believe, and I think a lot of Christians, I used to be like this, so I understand it. If we believe that missions is kind of just on the side of God's plans, it's kind of on the periphery, right? It's a department in the church, but it really isn't at the center of why the church exists, even as a local ministry church. And so if we have that mindset, then even as we're mobilizing for these roles, people are going to view missions incorrectly, and it's not going to necessarily grab their attention or grab their affection or their enthusiasm, right? But instead, if we can help, and this is part of the mobilization calling, I believe, is helping believers and helping local ministries to teach the centrality of the mission of God. Mission is not a side thing. And that's why the book's subtitle, Rethinking Globalization, the subtitle is Calling the Church to Her Core Identity. I believe that. I believe that the Bible is very clear from the Old Testament. Israel had that calling, though they completely forfeited it. And now we, in the New Covenant, under Jesus's leadership, this is our big picture calling. So it's not trying to just get a few people excited about missions. I feel like that's what mobilization has been reduced to. Instead, it's helping the body get reconnected with who she is and why she exists and what her identity in the will of God is really meant to be for. And so I just want to add that, that I feel like that's a key, key component to helping shift the narrative from kind of boring missions on the side somewhere to, no, this is the most exciting enterprise that anybody can be involved in. This is the will of God for his whole church. Absolutely. Agreed. Thank you for emphasizing that. I think that we have some reorienting to do. We need to see this as God sees it, and he will show us that. Part of seeing that is by opening our minds and our hearts to something that has been shown to others like yourself in this book and in your life. And when we get our perspective right in terms of the centrality of God's mission that he shared with us, and also realize that there's more than one role 
we can find our place and be animated and activated by God's grace to be a part of the answer that is still in front of us. I'm stoked here. I really think that you're on to something important, and I really appreciate, again, your time to develop these thoughts and put them down and and the time. Your family had a big contribution in your book, even though they didn't write a word. That's right. Absolutely. That can't be overlooked. It's true in my case as well. So, man, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here, Ryan. I especially want to get folks to your site where they can get a look at those six roles. And of course, we're going to backlink to the book in all of its locations. Again, thank you for being here. Mention a few resources for us really quick. And if someone wants to know more right now, where can we send them? GlobalMMI.net is our ministry's website. GlobalMMI.net. And then the book's website, RethinkingMobilization.com. RethinkingMobilization.com. Com. And we've got a publishing arm of the GMMI ministry called Ignite Media. And so I encourage you, check that out. There's a lot of good resources, I think, that will serve your local churches if you're a pastor or a small group leader out there. And get a hold of some of these resources because they can enable you. You don't have to recreate the wheel on this mobilization stuff. The resources are there to help you. So go check it out. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Ryan, for being here and for your energy around the subject. I believe God's heart is animating your heart. And here we are in a position to receive God's grace by that means. Thank you also for for everything you're doing and for uh, your continued work for the gospel. It's a real blessing. Hope to see you again soon. And and hopefully there in Central Asia. Come on. I would love to have this next conversation uh, over a cup of coffee. Absolutely. You're more than welcome, man. Come on out. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. I am Scott McClelland, and this is FX Missions Podcasting. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. One more thanks to Ryan for joining us. I really appreciate what he shared about how God saw them through transitions from one country and kind of one chapter of life to the next, and also how God reset his expectations. I also want to encourage you. I've got friends over the years who've worked in Chiang Mai and in Thailand, some that still do. Also, Ryan, clearly that's his context. Please pray that the Lord would continue to move mightily in these Buddhist countries like Thailand. It's really important. It would be really meaningful if you would join with me and agree with me that God will open the eyes of the people group there to see the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for doing so. Next time, we're going to hear from Scott Shacklin, a childhood friend of mine. It was a long time ago. Anyway, what he's going to talk to us is about something that he sees that's critical for the church to focus on and to talk about, and it's not necessarily living your best life now. (laughs) You want to catch that. You can follow or subscribe at fromtheforefront.com slash subscribe. And uh, just a heads up, we're going to be making some changes in a few months that will affect the show. Still working through the details. We're planning it now and working with the production team But we believe that we're going to do a big change forward, move excellent, better, stronger, faster.
I don't know. It's going to be good. So pray for us as we do that. And we're going to create a more cohesive whole, we think, from the productions we've been up to. Not ready to share in detail just yet, but we want to let you know that we're planning on it and ask for your prayer as we make this podcast everything it could be. Thanks for being with us. If God spoke to you today, we'd love to hear about it. Click through to the episode notes on your podcast app, choose the link for your favorite social media platform, and share it with us there. And if you've not done this already, follow the show in your favorite podcast app at fromtheforefront.com slash follow. Click the link in the episode notes, choose your favorite podcast app, and follow us there to get every episode for free.